Welcome to True Wisdom, where Andrew and I talk about God's Word. Welcome, Andrew. Welcome, Robert. Uh, we thank you for joining us today. Um, we've been doing this now for quite a bit, and mm-hmm. we're learning new even as we uh, present these different devotionals. Uh, so what is the benefit to us, not just as presenters, but to even those listening? What's the benefit? Uh, the benefit of studying the Word of God? Oh, yeah. Well, Paul told Timothy that Timothy had studied the Scriptures from since he was young because it would make him wise into salvation. And, you know, that's an interesting statement. And if you don't look at the context of everything that was said, you might come to the conclusion that it's just head knowledge that leads to salvation. Mm. And Paul wasn't saying that because the scriptures, when we study the scriptures, the whole point of studying the scriptures is to learn about Christ and to understand who he is and to develop a relationship with him, right? It's easy to get, it's easy to get the intellectual knowledge of who saves without getting the benefit of who saves. Mm. Right? So why do we do this? Because in my experience, in my personal experience, and my observational experience, it is too easy to gain a knowledge of Christ without gaining a knowledge of Christ. Right. That is right? unfortunately it's too easy very to true. Be at the up level. Yeah, and so, you know, what would be the point? I mean, really think about this. What would be the point of spending years reading your Bible, praying, understanding prophecy, just like Paul said in in 1 Corinthians 13? Understand all mysteries and all knowledge and can move mountains, have all faith. But if you don't have love, which you can only get from God, which you can only get as a relationship, as part of a relationship with God. If you don't get that, then what? It profits us nothing. It would be the most ridiculous thing to spend all of your time getting this superb knowledge, and then Christ comes and he's like, who are you? I didn't know you. Mm. So our goal here is to give instruction that folks will become wiser and and look at how look at how this passage. I love these questions that we do because when you come back and read the passage we've been reading all the time, it's like, hey, there's more to this. Right, right. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. That part sounds just like attaining knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Right? The second verse takes you to a totally different place because the fear of the Lord is something you experience, not something you know. Interesting. I wouldn't have put it quite that way. And neither would I until we just finished saying what we said. And then as soon as I turned to look at this, I'm like, hey, this experiential thing, it makes more sense. And this, by the way, this is what we talk about. This is the experience that we want everyone to have 
no matter how many times you read these passages, no matter how many times you go through these stories, no matter how many times you go through these books, each time you come back at it, a new perspective, a richer, deeper understanding is available for, for you, for us. And so we do this to encourage you to experience this because this is an awesome experience. And as long as it leads us to a deeper relationship with Christ, then it's worth it. Okay. All right. Um, can you start us off with prayer and then we'll jump right into it? Okay, let's do that. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to participate in this, to do these studies together, and to share the studies that we do after the fact. Um, we pray, Lord, that it will be a blessing to those we come in contact with, those who hear this, that they'll share it, that they will grow, and that it will further the gospel and your hasten your coming. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what are we covering today? Um, so many things, so many places. Let's go to Acts chapter 19. Now, we've been in this book before, in this chapter before, um, but we did, we were somewhere else. We were somewhere else. Acts Actually, we've been in this chapter twice. Acts 19. We're going we're gonna to come to the beginning of this because there are different principles that we want people to understand. Okay. And most of these principles have a contextual, um, have a contextual perspective. I, I want to say this. When we talk about context, and I'm saying this because it's good to remind those who've said it to before, and it's good for, if someone is going to listen to this for the first time. When we talk about the Bible's contextual, we don't mean that it's relativistic, meaning everybody can come at it and make it say what they want it to say. We don't mean that. Um, the Bible certainly applies to people in their various circumstances, but it, you can't just twist it to whatever you want it to say. That's one. When we talk about context, we don't just mean we're about to read that Paul was an ethicist, and so that's all that matters. Sure, that's the context of the story that Luke is telling in the history of Paul, but that's not all that applies. Context helps you understand why certain things were said, and when you understand the context, it is easier to understand how to apply it to yourself. A lot of times, the reason we can't apply things to ourselves properly is because we don't understand the context of what was being said and to whom and for what purpose. So context helps us not take us a, a verse and run all over the place with it. Okay. Um, okay. All right, and we're starting at verse... Verse 1. Okay. We're, gonna, we're only going to go to verse 10. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coasts, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. He said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. 
Okay, pause. Pause before we do verse four. So we can look at this passage and say that in Bible times, there were two baptisms. People knew of two baptisms, or at least there were two baptisms that were known, I should say, right? Um, some people only know of John's baptism, which we're going to, which was just said. And some people understand that John's baptism was preparatory to Christ. Now, I want you to pause right here. I want you to run over to the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And just read that section. And this is one of the things about context that I want to bring up that's very important and that people overlook. Matthew, Matthew 20. 28, 18 through 20. 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Okay. Now, who did he say to baptize in the name of? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay. Holy but Ghost. do you know that every subsequent baptism that is mentioned in Scripture, primarily in the book of Acts, but some of the epistles too, you know they only say baptized in the name of Jesus. Right. Okay. Now, there are people who have asserted that um, that the understanding of in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is incorrect because every other example shows only in the name of Jesus. Therefore, that's what the baptism really was. Interesting. Yes. Now, it we should never take. Um, or let me say it this way. One of the things about reading the scripture is that when a passage is clear, I mean, it's really clear when it says, "In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit." When a passage is clear and you find another passage which appears to contradict it, you can decide that the first passage was wrong and just make the second and third and fourth passages um, definitive. And it's easy to do when it's not just one passage one way and a second passage a second way. Mm -hmm. In this case, it's like one passage one way and it's about five or six passages the other way. You can decide, oh, then we have the wrong interpretation to that other verse. Or you can say that first verse is clear, not ambiguous, it's not shifty, it's not, okay, it's clear. The other verses are also clear, they appear contradictory. We need an answer that incorporates both sides mm -hmm. because both are clear. Okay, what do we find here? Why does Paul ask them, have you received the Holy Ghost? Is this a case of Pentecost where the expectation was once they're baptized, they would receive the Holy Spirit? Well, it's not just at Pentecost, because remember when we did the podcast on Simon, 
the leper, not the leper, sorry, Simon, um, the, who used to be the magician. The magician, right. He was asking mm-hmm. for the Holy Simon Ghost. Simon Magnus. Magnus. Yeah. Right, because when the apostles came and the people were baptized, the Holy Ghost fell upon them. And that's the power he was so asking he, for. Right. So that was post-Pentecost. It wasn't simply tied to Pentecost. So the Holy Spirit definitely was poured out on Pentecost, but he was poured out several other times because on Pentecost, we had 3,000 that were baptized. And later, the Bible talks about 5,000 that are baptized and come into the church. So there was a lot. The Holy Spirit was working tremendously in the early going. So Paul says, hey, have you had the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Because Paul is an apostle. And it's not just any random person that was that the Holy Spirit was falling on people for. Paul is an apostle, right? And and we even did the story with um, Cornelius and Peter, uh, where the right. Holy Spirit fell upon them first. Right. Okay? Paul asked about the Holy Ghost. They said, we've never even heard about the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. What question does he ask them next? Uh, well, what baptism were you baptized unto? Unto the, what then were you baptized? Okay, now ask yourself this: If there were only two baptisms, the baptism of John and the baptism of Jesus, why would acknowledging or realizing that one had not heard of the Holy Ghost? Why would you be prompted to ask them about the baptism? Hmm. Unless the Holy Ghost is mentioned in the baptism. Right, and he's, yeah, he's basically asking them, how could you have not heard of the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, if you've been baptized? baptized? That should have been definitively declared during the baptism. Exactly. So this is where we talk about this all the time. With those other verses in, in Matthew 28, which you read, we were given that Jesus gave a definitive statement to his disciples. Okay? And, and that the Great Commission applies to all of us. It wasn't just to the apostles. Okay. It, we see examples, definitive statements by Luke and others recording that throughout time the disciples baptized, but they didn't need to write, and they baptized them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. They just needed to say they baptized them in the name of Christ. Why? Because there's only two baptisms mentioned so far. There was the baptism of John, which they specifically said to the baptism of John. And then there was this other baptism that Jesus gave, which he, which he iterated one time, this is how you need to do the baptism. Subsequently, they referred to it as the baptism of John, just mm-hmm. like sometimes the Bible says, and he did such and such. It doesn't say that he did all the steps again, because you heard what the steps were the first time. Mm. When we read the Word of God, we need to, especially when you're talking about God's people, unless you get a clue that someone was being disobedient. You should assume obedience when God gives an instruction and a person takes a step and there's no other commentary. You should assume obedience until you are told that it's disobedient or it's enumerated mm-hmm. in a way that conveys that it's disobedient. All right. Okay. Okay. Verse 4. 
Then said Paul, this is Acts 19, Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay. A lot of people see, here's one of those instances. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. But you have to look at verse 3, 2 and 3, where they say, we haven't heard if there was a Holy Ghost. And he's like, then what were you baptized unto? He clearly is going to explain to them the Holy Ghost. Otherwise, this whole this whole sequence is pointless. Imagine, honestly, that Paul comes and says, oh, you guys are Christians? Have you received the Holy Ghost? Oh, we never heard if there was a Holy Ghost. What baptism did you get baptized with? Oh, we were baptized with the baptism of John. Oh, okay. Well, John prophesied of, he baptized unto repentance, and he spoke of he who would come, that is Christ. Oh, great. Let's get baptized in the name of Christ. Okay, let's do that. And then they leave. And there's no discussion of the Holy Ghost, which perturbed Paul just four seconds ago. Right. Not reasonable. It's not a logical conclusion. It's not a legitimate conclusion. True. Okay? All right. Let's see, verse and 6. And then verse 6. And when mm-hmm. Paul had laid hands on them, upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. Okay, this is important. So, so now we've dealt with that baptism thing. Oh, by the way, you see that these brethren were baptized the second time. I've had over the years people come to me and ask, can I or should I get baptized again? And I use this verse here, this passage, and I say, if in your previous baptism, if, if in your circumstance now you know something, perhaps you came from a different faith um, uh, experience, you came up as a Presbyterian, or you came up as a Baptist, or you came up as a Methodist, whatever it was, your understanding of the Word of God was different from what it is now. And you feel that that difference is significant. It's not just like your daily learning each, you know, as we go day by day in our devotions, we learn more. That doesn't prompt us into new baptism. But let's say that you realize that the way you were living your life, based on that understanding, is different from the way that you that you know you need to live it now. This passage tells you that getting rebaptized, recommitting, fully committing, is certainly in harmony with God's will. Okay, and so. For people who are concerned because they don't want to dilute the ordinance of baptism, this is not a dilution. This shows that when a circumstance comes that meets you, it changes your trajectory in a significant way, whether it's because of repentance, because you've strayed and done and done things and are now coming back, or even you were living up to the light you had, but that light is now dim, and you realize that there's a much greater light to be had. Then that shift, that recommitment, that showing the world that, yes, I'm aligned with the Christ as I understand him today, significantly different from where I understood him before. Absolutely appropriate. Interesting. That I think I have never looked upon um, rebaptism 
because I've sinned as a as something that I'm compelled to do only because what is the purpose of baptism in the first place? And when you stay, if, if it was because of stumbling and falling, boy, then we'd all be baptized every week. But I do understand, I do understand when you come upon a new understanding of your life uh, and the life of what you thought you were being baptized to the first time. I do understand that. Well, there's another point to be made. So remember that when Peter didn't want to be washed, Christ said, hey, you can't have any part with me if you're not washed. And he said, wash everything. And Christ said, only your feet need to be washed. In our experience, this is why the, the ordinance of humility, the foot washing service of the Lord's Supper, this is why it's important. Because those are little mini baptisms that we consecrate ourselves to God and reconnect us with our brethren. Okay? That's what the communion service is there for. That's why we don't need to get baptized every single time we stumble a little. But when you have a significant fall away, a public one, I mean, you could do it on a private one too if you felt that it was that significant. But certainly, if you have a Bathsheba moment that the planet knows about, or a Solomon moment where you've gone, or, well, I don't know if it was a moment, but a Solomon, a Solomon um, sidetrack that that you have to come back from, or a, um, a King Manasseh sidetrack that you have to come back from. And his wasn't a sidetrack. He started out wicked and eventually converted. If you have, if you have those major scenarios, rebaptism is um, is helpful because again as we had discussed in a previous podcast the degree of your recovery and repentance should match the degree of your of your separation and falling away right right, right. to the extent that you trip quietly your re- your return can be quiet to the to the extent that you trip and fell away in a loud and and um, ostentatious fashion maybe that how you should look at the recovery process as well. It's the same, remember when we did the parable of the of the sheep, when when the woman loses her coin and has to search the whole place for it, she has a party when that's finished, right? When the, when the son, when the prodigal son goes away and comes back, there's a huge party, like the announcement of the return and the recovery should be as loud as the announcement of the departure. Yeah, I personally um, there was a situation where um, we had within our ministry at our church uh, a young lady who would she would be at clubs on Friday night and then come serve on Saturday mornings and but she would be late to serve she would be uh, disheveled sometimes because you know it's hard to go from a club the night before to church the next day I don't care how good, you know, it, it's not easy to do, especially not easy to do for a long period of time till the person mm-hmm. in, in charge of her um, department had a stern conversation with her um, and had to say, I'm sorry, you, you just can't serve here. And, you know, there's this internal struggle we have of, 
is that the right thing to do? I mean, you you don't want to throw them out. But she wasn't living up to the standard. Not that we put, it's not a, even a church standard. It wasn't a department standard. It's a Christ right. standard. It's not, it has nothing to do with us. You, We have to realize that there are other people within the department who know what's going on. And if you just turn mm-hmm. a blind eye to it, you can encourage right. that behavior with other people. So he had a or stern... Discourage other people. Yeah. Or discourage other people. Like, other people may not want to follow Exactly, along, yeah. yeah. They're, because they're we're phony. Say, what's the point of all of this? Right, right. What's the point of this? But it wasn't... Right? And, and the thing is... Go ahead. No, go on. Well, I was going to say, the thing is, it doesn't have to lead to having the person disfellowshipping the person. Right. Right? It just moves... It's just... You can't be in a position of responsibility yeah. while being irresponsible. Yeah. And it wasn't, I guess it was eight or nine months later that she had her life turned around and she got rebaptized, recommitted herself. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say mm-hmm. him forcing her out made the change. I don't know that specific for the fact. But it, it means you Trust can, me. yes. Arresting a person's court. Paul is not going to shift until that Damascus Road experience gives him a reason to stop and say, what am I doing? Yeah, we shouldn't be afraid to uphold the standard because all you're doing is saying, this is what Christ said, this is how we should live. You cannot serve as your, and and live a, a, <laughs> that life. You can't do the same thing. You can't do them both. Choose ye this day nope. who you serve. That's all. Yep. We still love yeah, you. How long halt you between two opinions? Decision, opinions. I always say decisions when it is opinions. It, it is. It's both. <laughs> it's both. All right. So okay. we are at verse 9. We, right. You about, we're about to do 9 and 10. I, I want to, I, since we started 8, I'm going to say this. In, the, in Bible time, these brethren discussed and debated the gospel hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were obviously not unruly or anything of that sort, but they reasoned hard from the scriptures. And 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 um, you know, read eight again, do eight through ten, and and then we'll just talk about it and and wrap it up there. Let's see, eight through ten, and he went into the mm-hmm. synagogue. And spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened, and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord, Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Wow. Two years. But you see what the tactic was. He went to the synagogue and he spoke boldly over the course of three months, disputing, persuading, convincing. I mean, we know that the Holy Spirit at the end of the day is who pricks the heart, convicts, etc. But he presented the word of God from the scriptures forcefully and and in a convincing manner. And once it got to the place where folks were hardened and it was clear that they were not moving from their path, but even worse, 
were speaking evil of the way before the multitude. They were countering the work. That mission was done. Right. And he departed from them, and he separated the disciples, separated the disciples from there, there, because it did not make sense to leave the disciples in an environment where people were not ambivalent to the truth, but hostile to it. Mm-hmm separated, and then he disputed daily in the school of one Tyrannus. We're not sure who Tyrannus was other than that he ran a school and that Paul was able to preach in there daily for two years. Two years? Two years. Enough time for all them that dwelt in Asia to hear the word of God, both Jews and Greeks. Hmm. Okay? both Jews and Greeks. The implication of these two verses, by the way, is that it was Jewish leadership that was hardened. And the reason that I will say that is Jewish leadership is hardened. They are now talking against the way to the multitude. He separates the disciples from there. He gets opportunity to operate out of this school. And daily for two years he speaks there, and yet he doesn't get that that hostility. Why is that? Because those people didn't have the control that they had in the synagogue. And speaking of which, the way was what Christianity was originally called. Yes. That's why Jesus said, I am the way. Mm-hmm. Okay? I am the way. Yes. I wonder if we'd be hung, strung up if we decided to call it the way again. But um, let's see, disputing daily. That's the interesting mm-hmm. thing. I just looked at some commentary. It says not just Sabbaths only, daily. Yeah, correct. 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 Yeah, it's a... It's a it is a magnificent thing what he was able to do and what he was able to come from. He used to be one of those people who were hardened against it, and yet um, he changed. He turned around. Well, technically, I would say that he was against it, that he wasn't hardened against it. Uh, I think hard. I think when you get hardened is when probation closes or that you begin that path. Okay. Of closing fair. Fair. I just think someone who's going around, yes, but he was zealous in everything. Um, Yes, and and the thing was, remember, he started from a position, because he didn't start to hear the gospel before he moved forward. He grew up as a Pharisee. He, Mm -hmm. as far as he was concerned, he already knew the gospel. These other people were heretics, right? So here, think about it. How does the Bible show that people were hardened? He disputes and persuades the things of the kingdom of God for three months, and then they're hardened. That's when the opposition is locked in. Whatever they knew before, they've now learned more in three months of disputing with him, and now they're locked in. There's it right. They have actively rejected everything about that position. It is a lesson. All right. What is your final words? Final word. Um, When we study the Word of God, we have to make sure 
the conclusions we come to can be supported from the passages we're looking at and, and simultaneously from the word of God as a whole, right? So we started the discussion with the whole baptism thing. Jesus told them to do a certain thing. We either have to conclude that they disobeyed Jesus and did not do the thing he asked, or that his words, which are pretty clear to us, were somehow not clear. As we go through this, we see his words were clear. The writers all wrote it shorthand moving forward. And we can see in Paul's response that what Jesus said was still there. We can also see in Paul's response that he was willing to give people enough time to know enough to make a decision about the gospel. And once they knew enough and were hardened, he moved on. Mm. And he protected the disciples because he moved on by moving the disciples to a place where they could continue to grow without ridiculous opposition. Not to say that you can quarantine people from all opposition, but you also don't need to have everybody before counsel before their time. Yes. Yep. I think that's one of the mistakes we make. We forget the parable of the sower and the seed, and we think mm -hmm. it's our job to make sure 100% accept. Um, and mm. so we will not move till 100% accept. Mm -hmm. that's, that's not the way it works. Jesus himself couldn't get certain towns to believe him. Jesus himself... So we need to sow and keep on sowing. Yeah. All right, <clears throat> let me pray. Dear Lord, okay. we, th we thank you for the, just in these short passages, we, we see an understanding of baptism, um, not just the baptism of repentance, but the baptism of Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, which is what we should be baptizing into. And that is of giving us a better understanding of the Godhead and and our place and what baptism means for us. We ask you to uh, be with us as we go about our week and help us to remember these things and preach on them and teach on them and to turn to the Bible for more understanding. And if there's something we have missed, help the text to reveal it to the readers. Amen. 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 All right. Thank title. you. Ah, what's the title? Unto what baptism were ye baptized? Well, that's pretty long now. Unto what baptism were ye baptized? <laughs> I knew I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, put which baptism? I like that. Which baptism? Okay. <laughs> I like that. All right. Now, if you have any you're questions, gonna people think, mm -hmm. you're gonna get people think we we didn't have any discussion on immersion and sprinkling, and we didn't do any of that. Yeah, understood. I, but it, okay. you know, it, it's it's, it's answered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because all the baptism in the Bible is immersion. All right, exactly. So we we if you have any questions for us about this topic or any of the topics we've covered previously, which can all be found at truewisdom.buzzsprout.com, please reach out to us. Uh, by email, truewisdom at spaceage-llc.com. Uh, if we've missed your question, please, please feel free to write us again. It is not done purposefully. 
And you can also reach us on Twitter at TrueWisdom underscore pod. We also have, um, Andrew also has complimentary and, um, oh, I forgot the word. He has some Bible studies that go along with these and some that experience um, other topics. And they can be found at? At BibleStudy.ASBZone.com. The podcast channel there is Rightly Divide the Word of Truth. And we cover many of the same topics here from a different perspective. We also cover um, weekly um, lessons weekly lessons that you can study on various topics, various books of the Bible. Um, it's, it's a different look, but same. we're studying for the same purpose, to better understand God's will for, for us and to gain a relationship with Him. So we hope you've learned something from this lesson, and we pray you will be blessed. <laughs>